Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. It is good to see each and every one of you. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and that uh, God just blessed you so much, you and your family and however you spent your Thanksgiving. I pray that it was a wonderful one. Thank you so much for being here, every single one of you. We're kind of in the process of, um, of trying to understand what we stand upon as a church. And it's, it's hopefully so that you would be able to explain to uh, someone that might, you know, you might try to ask to come to church with you sometime and, and say, well, what do you guys believe in or what, do you, what, what happens there and all of that. And, and what I want to try and do, what we want to try and do is to, to solidify in your heart and in my heart, in our hearts, what does the Rock Community Church stand upon? What is it that we believe in? So that you will feel comfortable, hopefully, with the, the path that we are taking as a church. Bottom line is we, we want to be a church that's fundamentally as sound as possible, but is, is not committed to a lot of do's and don'ts, but really just to, has the, the purpose of God in our minds. I, I'm, I'm sure that all churches would say that. But what we have believed is that out of uh, Acts chapter 2, if you would turn there with me, please, in Acts chapter 2, what you would find in verse 47 is there is a commitment that the, the apostles called to the people that formulated the first church. I've mentioned this to you before. Uh, Peter gave a message on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people believed, and all of a sudden, there they are gathering together. Oh, my goodness, what are they going to say to them? Um, what is the... What is the message that the apostles are going to say to these newfound believers in Jesus Christ who, who uh, need to be taught? Well, what he said in chapter 2 of Acts in verse 42 is he said, one thing I want from you. This I'm adding. He didn't say this. He, I don't know exactly how he said it, but what we have written down is, he says, I want you to continually devote yourselves continually devoted themselves to the things of God. And what we find in verse 42 are four things that are mentioned that are, are, ought to be continually devoted to. And that is, of course, first and foremost, what we have been covering for the last two and a half, three weeks, really a lot longer because I talk about it a lot, is our devotion to the, the apostles' teachings. In other words, the Word of God that came from Jesus Christ, given to them, given orders to them to tell the congregation, to tell the people once people came to Christ. So the first things that they said to the people is that we want you to be continually devoted to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread or communion, and to prayer. Those four things are mentioned in verse 42. It goes on to say that they then shared with one another as anyone might have need. And taken within that is there is a continual devotion to the support of the church, the, the church that you worship at, the church that you belong to, that there is a, a giving of our finances back unto the Lord as he gives to us so that the church may function and do the things that you couldn't do alone that we can do hopefully collectively reaching the community and reaching the, the, the society in which we live with the message of Jesus Christ. The sixth thing is found in right around the 46th and 47th verse, and that is that they had praise and were worshiping. And that's what we do when we sing. When you come here in the morning and you gather together, 
hopefully you come in time to prepare your heart so that you might worship the Lord when we sing. That's, that is a part of preparing our heart. We do that purposely. We sing before the service, before the message, not before the service, before the message, so as to prepare our hearts. Music has a, a wonderful way of doing that. And I don't know for you, but for me, a violin just is off the chart. I absolutely love what Emily did. and that. But, you know, we won't have that every week because there are some that don't necessarily like a violin, like, like say, for instance, I would. Um, but we have different kinds of music so as to, to reach different feelings towards music. Uh, and, and let's face it, it's, music is one of the things that there's always a debate about. Oh, it's too loud, it's too this, it's too that. And, and that's part of the church. That's part of being a human being. There are certain things that we, we like and certain things we don't like. And, and part and parcel of a family is, is being able to agree to disagree, to come to where we, we sometimes worship the Lord in a fashion that we wouldn't normally do, but knowing that the other person is really enjoying it, so therefore we can enjoy it because they're enjoying it. And then next week when they don't like what we're enjoying, we can be enjoying and let them support us. And that's kind of the way that goes. We'll never be able to have music that will cut, uh, cut across everyone's uh, likes or dislikes. But what we can do and what we ought to do and what we're going to try to learn today is the true meaning of fellowship, which brings us to a place where we can worship together and encourage one another together. Apart from the Word of God, what we want to learn in the next couple of weeks about fellowship is the very essence of what the church is truly all about. Without fellowship, without the Word of God, we're nothing. We're, We're a country club. But without fellowship, there is no growth. There is well, the Word of God. See, the Word of God trumps everything. What I'm said, what I just said, can't be totally true because the Word of God brings growth. But let me get into the message because through fellowship will come a, a passion, a, a, a desire to encourage one another. And what is needed within the family of God is a commitment to the church to encourage, to stimulate each other to good works, to faithfulness, to all of those things. You see, you and you and you and myself, we are all needed We are all needed in each other's lives. When you don't come to church, someone is missing something. Maybe it's you. I'm going to talk about this next week, but let me just say this now. It's a short, very short rabbit trail. But, you know, one of the problems we have with churches today, there's so many. When they had a church there back in, in, when this was explained back in, in Jerusalem, and they just had the one church in the community, when someone got mad at another person, they didn't pick up and just go to the next church. They, did, they couldn't do that. They had to solve it. They had to come together and, and agree to disagree, and they had to come together and, and love one another. And that's a good thing. Today, when someone gets angry with somebody in the church or they get their, hurts, their feelings hurt, they go. They go to another place. I don't want that to happen here. You're going to. We're going to. Somehow, some way, not on purpose, I hope, ever, never. 
But somehow, some way, you and I will get our feelings hurt. What we need to do is understand the principles that we will be learning out of what makes a person that is continually devoted to the things of God. So that we'll understand fellowship. We'll understand what it means to have communion and really forgiveness. Because that's what communion really explains the most about. Our remembrance of Christ and what he did on the cross for us. And we'll understand what truly prayer means within the body of Christ. And how each of us is essential to to give unto the Lord our finances so that we can do whatever it is that God has us or desires for us to do as a body of believers. And so that ultimately we would know what it really means to worship and to praise the Lord. Those are the essence we're going to look at in the weeks to come. Um, Let's begin with prayer because we are more, in this time, we're going to do something that is, is unnatural for me and that is to have selected scriptures. In other words, we're not going to be reading through one chunk and, and, and find out what it means to have fellowship, although I will do that at the end of this service in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. But in the meantime, we'll, we'll kind of jump around a little bit. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless us, please. Oh, Father, what a privilege it is to be able to come and to see Bonnie kind of signing to the, the, uh, the people that are uh, impaired of their hearing and so that they might hear your word through how she signs. What a blessing that is, Father. What a blessing it is to be able to sing together and to lift up our voices, Father, those of us that can, and to praise you and to worship you and to prepare our hearts to hear from your heart to ours. What a blessing, Father, to be able to open up our Bibles and and as, as, as written in, in Psalms 119, verse 18, that, that you, you almighty God, might open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your word. What a blessing, Father. What a blessing you've poured out upon this body of believers that each of us can in our own way stimulate each other to faithfulness, to holiness, to growth and maturity. Help us, Father, to understand the things that are, are taught within your word. Help us, dear Father, to become a people who are continually devoted to the things that you, you considered to be important enough to write them down in the book of Acts, the second chapter, in the 42nd through the 47th verses, Father. Thank you for them. Now, bless us. Move me aside, please, dear Father. Let us... Let us hear from your heart to each of our own hearts, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, it's going to be hard for me to let go of this whole thing about the apostles' teaching. So bear with me. Let me just review. Because I want us to take a look. If you, While I'm explaining, if you want to turn right now to Matthew chapter 7, do so. That's kind of where I'm going to land in a moment. At this point in time, hopefully, if you've been with us on a regular basis, you know the importance of the Word of God how it affects the church, how we are to be a a group of people above anything and everything else that we do, be a group of people who are continually devoted to the apostles' teachings. I mentioned to you last week, or the week before even, that I I wanted to encourage you to, to get started reading your Bible on a daily basis. And I said to you, let's start in Psalms 119. And I said, just read. You don't have to read long. And I believe that with all my heart. I don't think that 
If you don't have the time, you don't have to take an hour of your day. You can take five minutes and ask the Lord to show you what he wants to to teach you that day. And, And some nugget may come your way and then you can meditate upon it, saying, what does this mean to me? What does this mean in my relationship with you? You know, the questions that I kind of threw out at you as you read through Scripture. And I want to say to you that I believe that you and I should count every day that we do not read the Bible a day that is wasted. When we don't learn something new from the Word of God. When we are not deeply moved and enriched by a study of the Word of God. I I want to, with all my heart, to encourage you to read your Bible daily. Even if just for a short period of time. The early church understood this. They sat under the teaching of the apostles. The the very things that now are written within the Bible, the very thing that you are holding in your lap. And and we have been taught by the apostles that we are to teach the Word of God to the people who come to our midst. When when Paul got with Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you don't have to turn to it, verse 2, he said to Timothy, Timothy was a younger man that was was now going to be the, the, the teaching pastor of this church. And Paul said to him, here, Timothy, preach the word. In season and out of season. Rebuke the people. I said a couple other things. I, I almost forgot. Reprove them. Exhort the people. Have great patience and instruct your people, he said. That's what should be done in every church that opens its doors. We should be a church that collectively, all of us are preaching the Word of God. You see, the reason being is what we have learned. The only source that you and I have for spiritual food, for a chance to grow, to mature, uh, to find power and stability within our lives, will only come through a study of the Word of God. And you can't get it just from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. You have to, on your own, during the week, allow God to minister to your heart to teach you as he so desires by reading the Bible daily, just for a while, to allow him to touch your heart. Because only God's word will produce a sense of power. I think a better word that I coined was stability. And here's why I coined it. Look at Matthew, as I said, chapter 7. And look with me at verse 24. Jesus Christ is teaching all those that are following him. And he says this concerning the Word of God. He says in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears... Now, let me me share with you what I would do if I was reading that. If I were home reading that, I would stop there and I would say, Wow, that's good. I know and recognize that this is written to me because it says everyone who hears, and I'm hearing this. And so I would recognize right then and there, this is not written to a select group of people. This is written to everyone who hears. Then it says, and who acts upon them. And I'd realize there is a commitment that I must make here. That's the way I would read this. I wouldn't go through it for a long. I would read that one verse, and that would be what I would think, more than likely. And so when I read the Bible, I don't just scoot through it. I I read it, and I, I ask myself questions about it. Everyone who hears, well, I'm hearing this, what now? Well, you've got to act upon it, John. What do I have to do? Well, he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, you're going to be compared to a wise person. All right. 
You're going to build your house, he says, upon the rock. The rock, you can reason out if you're thinking, is, is the Word. The Word is the rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the Word. So I see here in verse 24, everybody who hears the words of mine, Jesus says, and acts on them is going to be a wise person who builds his house upon the rock. And then he says in verse 25, the rains are going to come. The floods, the wind's going to blow, and it's going to slam against your house. That's the way I would read it. By the way, there's not an option. There's no way that you're going to miss the winds You're not going to miss the storms. You're not going to miss the rains. They're going to slam against your house. That's that's for everyone. Yet, yet, it says, that house does not fall. Stability stands. It holds itself together. Because, Jesus says in verse 25, the last part of the verse, that house... That person, you have been founded upon the rock. My words. Because I've heard his words. I've acted upon them. I'm a wise person. Therefore, when difficulties come my way, I'm going to stand. I will be stable because I've been, I've been built upon the word, the rock. Now, Jesus Christ in verse 26 and 27 shows us the opposite point of view. Same words almost. Everyone who hears these words of mine, much as what he said in verse 24, but here's the difference. This person does not act upon them. Well, what are they going to be like? Well, they're going to be like a foolish person. A foolish person who builds this house on the sand. In other words, not upon the rock or God's word. Now, verse 27 is much like verse 25. The winds are going to come. The rain's going to hit. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew, they slammed against the house, just like it did in verse 25. But in this case, that house falls. And Jesus adds, great is its fall. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Just from this short little example out of the book of Matthew. The church, the pastor that ignores the teaching of Scripture puts their congregation at risk. That's why we teach the Word of God to you. That's why we're adamant about trying to explain to you the things of God. That's why we want you to read the Bible on your own, because we do not, as a church, want to put you at risk. There is a responsibility that has been given to us by God in order, if you would, to teach the Word so that we would not put you at risk. Hosea says, in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, speaking for God, in fact, Hosea just quotes God, and may I say to you, please, that I warn you the same? Hosea says, in Hosea 4, 6, God says, my people are destroyed for a lack of what? Thank you, knowledge. People become destroyed because there is a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding, of of believing the Word of God. They will be destroyed. In a commentary by one of my heroes, John MacArthur, as a matter of fact, I stepped in my track when when you you and your friend were talking about it. I heard John MacArthur and I went, 
I tried to listen in, but I didn't get to hear everything that you guys were saying. In the commentary by John, he, he says, the church cannot operate on truth that is not taught. He says, a church cannot function on principles that have not been learned. We've been saying that for months. The Word of God is everything to us as a body of, church, of believers. And so we are reminded when we were going through the book of Acts in the, I think it's the 17th chapter, the 11th verse, we are reminded that the Bereans were noble-minded people, more so than those in Thessalonica, it says in Acts 17:11. And the reason they were noble-minded was they examined the Scriptures daily. Every day they looked at the Word of God to see if the things that they were being taught was true or not. See, don't, please don't. By the grace of God, don't expect me to have all the answers. Don't expect me to always pour forth this truth. Test it. See if what I am saying is not true. That's why we study the Bible like we do, line upon line, word after word, so that you know where we are, where we're going, and you can have the evidence right there in your lap. And you can examine the things that we say to see if it's true or not. And in so doing, you and I, we as a church, will be noble-minded people. I want to be like that. Enough about the Word. Not really enough about the Word in the long run, but just for today. Now let's take a look at the word fellowship. A church that is... Truly a powerful church. Set aside the fact that without the Word of God, we're dead in the water. That has to be taught. Without the Word of God, did I say this already or did I say this in the first service? We're just a country club. That's all we are. We gather together and social without the Word of God. There are plain churches do that. Without the Word of God, there is no true fellowship, which is the next thing that we need, to, we need to completely devote ourselves to. Fellowship is the staple of a church that is obedient to the Word of God. It is in itself, it is the love that we have for one another. True fellowship, we are told in the Word of God, is the spiritual duty of every person that attends the church. Every single one of us have been called to fellowship. And the fellowship that we are completely or continually devoted to is to stimulate each other to holiness and faithfulness and growth and all the things you want to find in the Word of God. Fellowship, your fellowship, yours, 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 and yours with me is what helps complete me as a person, as a man. And in some way, I do the same for you. We all need one another. Now, what we have learned at this church is there's no hierarchy. There's no like someone's better than anyone else. We are all gifted by God in different ways. Whoever has that gift is no better than those of us that sit here in the pews and listen. It's just different, that's all. It's not better. It it doesn't make that person more important than you or me. 
All it is, is that person is hopefully functioning with the spiritual gift that God, in His grace, gave to the person. And each one of us have a gift. And neither, none of your gifts are less important than the other gift. We all are seen as, well, if God gives us a gift, He expects it to be used and He expects it to be important. And so we are all in this together and that's what true fellowship is. It is our using our gifts so as to display our love for one another. You know, that's about as clear as I can tell you why I say to you I love you every week. And I think I tell you every week I love you. And I mean that from the depth of my soul. And I love you for different reasons. One reason is I'm going to tell you everything I know about fellowship today. And when I go home tonight, if well, no, I'm going to watch the Patriots play football. <laughs> but when I go home normally, I, I, I go and I, and I kind of take a deep breath and then I open up my Bible and I go to my computer and I study. Because it's fresh on my mind and it, it moves into the next week easily for me at that point because it's kind of right deep in my memory. And without you, I wouldn't do that. I'd go home and do something else. But you force me into the Word of God. And I love you for that. More than I could ever put into words, I love you for that. You've helped me become a better person. My wife would only say, she shudders to think what what I'd be if it wasn't for you. If If this is better, oh my gosh. The word fellowship means to stimulate. The other word that you can use for fellowship throughout Scripture is each other. Each other can be also translated the same as fellowship. Look with me, please, at Romans. Turn to Romans 12, and then we'll look at Romans 13, and we'll look at Romans 14. But I'm going to talk to you before there about the most ultimate each other or fellowship that could ever be found within a church. Tuesday, I'm going to do a wedding. Can't wait. Can't wait. I, uh, one of my favorite things to do is a wedding. And um, every wedding that I've ever done that I can remember, I quote out of uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. It says in Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness nor empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you, each other fellowship, let each of you regard one another as more important than you do your own self. Now, I think that's a great marriage. If I can consider Kay as more important than me, I've got a leg up on the marriage. If she could consider me as more important than herself, we've got a pretty good marriage going. Now, I I think that's a great verse for marriages. But when Paul wrote that in Philippians, he was speaking to the church. He was talking about fellowship within the body of Christ. How we are to consider each other as more important than we do our own selves. That's why, to me, I've learned enough about the Word of God to know that that's not an exalted position. That's just a gift. It doesn't make that person better than anyone else. It's just a gift that God gave us. But hopefully you see week in and week out that I love you by being here. 
by pouring out my heart to you. And some of you have been very kind to me, more kind than I ever deserved, saying that you, you love that I'm passionate and you, you're amazed that I still cry. I've got pastors that say, you still cry. I can't believe you still cry. You cry? What do you cry for? I don't know. You think I try to cry? I don't try to cry. It just happens sometimes. It's like I can't explain it. If I could explain it, I would have years ago stopped because it's very draining and it's embarrassing. I mean, I'm old enough now to stop crying, please. Well, I stopped ask, I've stopped asking to stop crying because it's what God did, in my opinion. It's how he made me, in my opinion. And so we're to regard one another as more important than we do our own selves. You want to have a great church? That's as simple as it gets. But we are further reminded about fellowship over and over again within the New Testament. There are myriads of places that speak of fellowship, and, 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 it, and it's mentioned by the words one another. Look at, I ask you to be in 12, Romans 12. Look at verse 10. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's fellowship. Give preference to one another in honor. That's fellowship. Look at the next chapter, chapter 13. Look at verse 8. I'm telling you, I could tell you, I, we could turn to a lot. I don't know, I don't want to exaggerate. I would say I saw at least 30, I don't know. I don't want to exaggerate. I, I saw a lot of different places we could have turned to. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. That's fellowship. It says the person who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Look at chapter 14 and verse 19. It says we're to pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That's fellowship. Fellowship is stimulating each other to growth and to good works and to to, um, maturity in our faith. And I will never be the man of God that God wants me to be without you. And you'll never be the person of God that you that God desires you to be without one another here in this church. See, the basic meaning of fellowship in the Greek is K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. It means to partnership or to share. To share a common bond of a family brought together in Christ. You see, look at 1 John. 1 John is right near the book of Revelation. Go all the way to the end. Revelation, you turn back, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, 1st John. Look at 1st John, chapter 1. You see, to receive Jesus Christ means you become partners, partnership. You share with not only one another, but as John taught in 1st John, chapter 1 and verse 3, we also share this fellowship, this one another that we have with none other than the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.3, what we have seen and what we have heard, we proclaim to you also. In other words, John is saying, if you were reading it as I would when you're studying, John is saying, we saw something and we heard something and now we're going to tell you what we saw and what we heard. That's the orders that John had been given by God through his son to proclaim to the church, to other believers. He says, what we have seen, what we have heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father 
and with his son, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, Christian. For you to fail to participate in the body of Christ with the gift that God has given you is inexcusable. Now, no one can make you do it. And lo, God forbid that we make you serve the Lord. I would rather that comes from God's heart to your heart so that you can do it with the same passion, forgive me, that I have. I mean, God bless you. By that passion, I mean, for all the years that I've been preaching, I look forward to next Sunday already. Well, actually, next Saturday night. I already can't wait. I love to get together with you and to to teach and to study and to, to know the Word of God. It is a passion that runs within my soul. And for me to fail to participate in the gift that God has given to me is inexcusable and it is directly in opposition and disobedience to the Word of God. Look at, you're in 1 John, turn to the left a little bit more and you'll go past uh, Peter, is it 2nd and 1st Peter? And then James, and then look at Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, we are warned by the writer in Hebrews that we cannot excuse ourselves from meeting as a body of believers. Look at verse 24. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's fellowship there. That one another means fellowship. How are you and I going to stimulate one another to love and good deeds? How? Well, that's the question you should ask. Consider, how do I stimulate someone to love and good deeds, Lord? Well, he says in verse 25, Don't forsake your assembling together as a habit of some. No, encourage one another. In other words, have fellowship with one another. It is a direct command from God that you and I be here every week. I, I feel so saddened that some of you choose to come to church once in a while. And I don't keep track. And I'm not speaking to anyone in particular because I don't have anybody in mind. But what I'm saying to us as a body of believers is we need to be obedient to the Lord. We need to be in church. The Bible does not envision the life as a Christian as one that has lived apart from the fellowship of believers because we're not islands. We need one another, desperately need one another. This appointment that you make, what appointment you might say? This appointment, this time where you meet with God and you meet with other believers to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds, this is an appointment that you must make beyond anything else that you have as an appointment in your, in your what do they call it, in your, um, uh, huh? Schedule. <laughs> I was thinking of Palm Pilot or whatever they have. I don't know. I, I have a big notebook. I, I still haven't. Anyways, that doesn't need, that's neither here nor there. Your appointment of coming to church on a weekly basis is imperative that you are here for yourselves, but for the other person who desperately needs you. And you might not know that he needs you or she needs you, but they need you. And that ought to be kept every week without exception. Because you are needed. You are needed in that person's walk, that person's stability, that person's growth in Christ. We are hindered. We are hindered when you're not here. I had a man that I know of that had a 
a rule within his household. There was a called it the 100-mile rule. They went on vacation, and they were within the parameters of 100 miles of the church. They would come home on Sunday and go to their church where they, where they fellowship, pack up the kids. You know the kids were mad. You know that. In a place to have vacation, pack them up, put them in the car, drive home to go to church, then drive back for vacation. Well, let me say what this gentleman learned. He learned that when his kids got older, they saw the importance of church. And when they got married, they packed up their kids and brought them to church every week. And on and on it went. We see people that finally make some money, you know, and buy a vacation home and, you know, get busy. And so they get away on the weekends and they don't get to church. And when they get older, all of a sudden their kids aren't going to church on a regular basis because they've been taught it's not important. Vacation is more important. So this person poured his life into his church. Really what he was doing was pouring his life into his kids and pouring his life into his Lord. It is imperative that you and I gather together. And so many of us become flippant about this time to gather together and to worship the Lord. I want to close on this thought. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul begins by teaching this fact to a church that was dysfunctional in Corinth. I've said to you before, you and I cannot make theology out of a lot of of, of the book of 1 Corinthians without understanding the book of 1 Corinthians. For the most part, Paul is trying to reason with these people to love one another. I mean, they were a dysfunctional group of people. And so he was trying with all of his heart to bring this church in Corinth together. And they were spinning off into groups. Some were of Apollos, some were of Paul, some were of Peter. Some even said, no, no, we're of Christ. And they were separating themselves instead of having fellowship with each other. And so what he says in the 16th chapter as he closes off this great book is he tells them what true fellowship is really all about. He says in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, let everything that you do be done in love. That's pretty good. And he concludes in verse 24 by assuring them that they will be loved back. He says, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And in between verses 14 and 24, we see the results of true fellowship. True fellowship is first and foremost evangelism. Look what Paul says in verse 15, the first part of it. He says, now I urge you, brethren. He says, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits in Acacia. In other words, they were the first people that he drew to Christ. Paul led the household of Stephanus to Christ. And he is, in essence, saying we are expected to lead others to Christ as well. And how we will lead people to Christ is is by how we fellowship with one another. When people come in and they see something really unique and very, very wonderful about this church, a kind of a love for one another, they will be drawn to that. And then God will add to our number, really His number, day by day, those who are being saved. That's, That's the reason for us gathering together, to lead people to Christ eventually. Yes, there's evangelism that comes with true fellowship, but also there is, at the end of verse 15, it says, they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. There is ministry that is comes about through fellowship. All of us have a certain ministry, whether it's parking the cars, teaching the young people, 
uh, working on the soundboards, uh, setting up whatever it is. The word devoted there in the Greek is tasso, T-A-S-S-O. It means to place or to set in order. In other words, the household of Stephanus helped set that church in order through the ministry that they did, whatever that was. Who knows what it was? Paul doesn't say. They have devoted themselves to this ministry that they have so as to put the church in order. That's your job. That's my job. That's our job. This is our home. This is the place that we ought to put in order. I'll know this is your home when I see every once in a while you look and and you see something on the floor and you pick it up and you put it in the trash. It's what we would do if we were at home. Folding a chair, putting it somewhere, doing something that we would do normally in our own homes. When this becomes your place, then God's more than likely got your heart. So you would have a ministry setting the church in order, but also through ministry there would be Through fellowship, there would be submission to one another. And I love verse 16 because it really says it the way I believe it. It says in verse 16 that you also be in subjection to such men. Such men were the church leaders. But note, it doesn't stop there. And also to everyone who helps in the work and labor. In other words, we are all to be subject to one another. I use this as an example. Bob Gold was in the first service, and he does parking, does a lot of the parking. And, and I, we had a, a, a baptism over John and Kathy Verhoeven's home, which thank you from the bottom of our heart for allowing us to be there way back then. And it was, I mean, you guys, your hospitality is incredible. And so I, I come driving in, and there was some cones there, and I, I, I was looking for a parking place on the street, and it was, I was a little bit late, not real late, but I, I wanted to park down the street just like everybody else so that I could walk up and nobody could see me as special. And Bob said, I set these cones apart for you to park here. And I said... Uh, Bob, no. I said, I want to park off the, so I can walk up. He says, no, I set these up so you could park here. And I realized then and there, I was to be in submission of the man who had the ministry of parking in this church. And if I was to drive up and say, hey, good, you got these coned off. I'm going to park here. He had every right to say, no, no, you don't. That's, that's reserved for John and Kathy. And I can't say to him, hey, I'm the pastor of this church. John and Kathy, I'll park there. No, he would not allow me to park there. But because he had a set apart for me, I did park there. I parked there because I wanted to practice what I preach. I wanted to fall into submission to the man who was in charge of parking that day. He had a plan. Who was I to say no? We are to be in submission not only to the church leaderships, but in the, in the ministry that you have. You know, Karen, you have a, a ministry with those kids. I can't go in there and just do anything I want. I know you'd let me. But, but the truth of the matter is, if you said, no, John, you can't come in here, I would have to not come in there. Because that was, that's what God put you in charge of those young kids, to teach them. We are all to be in submission to one another. And if we learn that, we will really understand fellowship. We will have a love and respect for each other, that we will be in submission to each other. But it doesn't stop there. Look, through this fellowship, this joy we would have a companionship and respect for one another. Look at verses 17 and 18 now. Paul says, I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus. Who who named these kids? And uh, Achaicus, 
this is when I need you, Bill. Every time I do this, I think of you. Those names roll off your lip like you're just so good at that. I'm so envious when I hear you do that. I can't do that so good. That's okay. Um, But he says, I rejoice over their coming because they supplied what was lacking on your part. And he says in verse 18, they've refreshed my spirit and yours as well. So acknowledge such men. In other words, show them respect. Honor them. Have fellowship, companionship with them. They've they've done something for us that others couldn't do. That's what we should have for one another in this body. It always breaks my heart to see when there's ever any friction within the church. It just, I just, just, I can't understand it. I just, and because there are other churches, people get mad and say, I'm out of here. You are nothing. Oh, it just aches my spirit. It aches my spirit. And so there should be a companionship and respect for one another. And then ultimately, finally, in verses 19 and 20, fellowship becomes practical. Practical through hospitality and affection. I'm very fortunate. I was very fortunate. I was raised by two very loving parents. My mother, honestly, I think Mother Teresa had to have a picture of my mother on her mantle somewhere. My mother... She never got paid for it, but she took care of... We were from the old country. My mom came from Croatia. And anybody that came to where we lived in the Highland Park area that had a babushka on, we took care of them. You know, babushka, I don't know if you know what that means, but there were people from old country, they wore a lot of babushkas. And when I was a little boy, my mother would go and take care of these different elderly ladies that were just not able to function. She was like a hospice. But I didn't know what she was doing, but she would always take me along. And we'd always go, and everybody was teta. Teta this, teta that. Teta means aunt. Teta whatever. And she'd go to me, my mom, she would kiss anybody. And she'd go to me, kiss teta, kiss teta. And teta smelled, you know. And and teta, teta wouldn't give me one of these. Teta would give me one of these. Come on, come on, give me a kiss. And I would kiss teta. My mom would be so happy. And so today, you're kind of the aftermath of what my mom's like. I hug all of you. And some of us men kiss one another on the cheek. We do. There's an affection. Look what it says, if I didn't read this already, in verses 19. The churches in Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that's in your home. There was the hospitality, the fellowship of having the church in their home. And he says, all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And so I don't know. I don't know if I started it here. I don't know. But there's sure a lot of hugging goes around in this place. And I think my mother is happy when I hug you. It's been ingrained in me. I can't hardly stop. It's the true fellowship of believers when we really love one another. When we solve problems and when we don't get angry with each other to the degree that we just leave, you know, I'll go to another church. No, solve the problem. When we get to the whole idea of breaking bread with one another, we'll, we'll know the whole ideal of, of why marriages ought to be just loving, why 
fellowship ought to be loving, why a church ought to be loving, because there's forgiveness. How many times? You know how many times I've, I've had to forgive him? I don't know how many times, but God says you do it forever. You always forgive. You always love. That's what church is. That's what true fellowship is. That is why once we understand the word of God, the next important thing within the family of God is that we understand fellowship with one another. You are needed. Somebody needs you. You need somebody. God will help you. He will bring stability into your life, or you will help to bring stability into another person's life. That's true church. That's true fellowship. Father, please allow us to understand the wonders of of what you teach. These words are not written for nothing. They're written for a purpose, that we are to be continually devoted to the teaching of the apostles and to fellowship is, is critical, critical, Father God. We can't walk away in a huff and get angry with someone. No, you've called us to solve these things, to forgive one another, to, to make amends, to love one another, and to stimulate each other to love and good deeds. Help us to be this type of church. Help others that come into our, our building, Father, to see that there is something really unique and different about this place. People busy about doing the things of God and busy about loving one another and just having fellowship with each other. Now bless us as we go from here, Father. Please remind these people how much I love them. Thank you, Father, for giving this church um, its existence that each of us can be an example of what true church is all about. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you with all my heart. God bless you. I hope I see you next week. Bye-bye.